you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Uh, well, today we're going to be discussing the topic of priests uh, and considering priests both in the Old Testament, uh, considering priests as we meet Jesus uh, and considering the significance of priesthood today. Now, in many ways, uh, I'm not sure what you think of when you think of priesthood, when you think of priests. In, in many senses, Old Testament priesthood sounds significantly different from where we are, uh, from the world we are in. Uh, and perhaps priesthood now, uh, as many representations of it we may well see, uh, perhaps within different churches, perhaps scandals within different churches, perhaps uh, um, ambiguity over what a priest is and what a priest does and the significance of priests. Um, there's a whole bunch of questions that we may well have. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to do, I guess, three things. Uh, we're going to have a real a Bible study of sorts this morning, uh, and we're going to uh, consider three things. Uh, number one, we're going to look at the Old Testament priesthood. Uh, we're going to consider the significance of priesthood in the Old Testament. Secondly, we're going to then consider Christ and how he helps us to understand the priesthood. And then thirdly, uh, we're going to land with us. What's the significance of being priests now uh, for us as those this side of the New Testament? Got where we're going? Uh, in many ways, that's a similar shape that we've done many times throughout Exodus. We've considered the book of Exodus. We've considered the fulfillment in Christ. and We've considered what that means for us, uh, this side of Christ. Uh, and so the first thing we'll consider are uh, Israel's priests. Um, and so keep open Exodus chapter 28. We're going to be in 28 and 29. Uh, we won't read the whole of 28 and 29. We'll jump around a little bit and try to get a bunch of the ideas that are in there. Uh, but for those that have just joined us, we've been working through the book of Exodus. Uh, we've been learning uh, about what God has done to rescue his people from slavery in Egypt. Uh, and since they've been rescued, that's now a couple of months ago when we actually touched on those topics, uh, we've seen what does it mean for God's people to live as God's rescued people, as a new community of faith, a community that have been gathered by the blood of Passover lambs, have been rescued by the mighty and outstretched arm of the Lord. Uh, what does it mean to obey God? What does it mean to approach God? What does it mean to even, as we've seen in the last couple of weeks, have God dwell in the midst of his people? Last week, we considered the the setting up of the tabernacle and uh, the tabernacle effectively being the place where God pitches his tent among his people. Uh, God dwelling with his people, uh, a remarkable thing for the people of Israel. But now we are considering in this broader section on the tabernacle, the role of the priests, those that have been set aside in Israel uh, to serve God and to serve God's people, representing God, representing God's people. Uh, and so uh, have a look with me at Exodus chapter 28. Uh, no one has left their Bible at home because you can quickly go grab it. Uh, we're going to be uh, in the Bible a, a fair bit. So keep it out. Keep it open. Exodus chapter 28. Uh, let me read from verse 1. It says, Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. 
and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twisted, uh, fine twined linen. Uh, a few things just to note there about Israel's priests. Uh, first, you get this glimpse of their garments that have been uh, prescribed for Aaron, for his sons, for the priesthood in Israel. Uh, in verse 2, they are for glory and for beauty. Uh, we see these beautiful colors that are meant to reflect something of the glory of the true and living God, this God who is dwelling in the midst of his people. What were the garments? Well, we had a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkerwork, a turban, and a sash. Now, we're not going to read through the whole of chapter 28, but if you were to read it through, you'd actually see some colors that are on repeat, gold, blue, purple and scarlet yarns. These are the same colors that were used back in chapters 25 to 27 in the description of the tabernacle. It's kind of matchy-matchy. Uh, the, the, the priest's attire uh, is matching with the colors and the intricacy and the beauty that is built into the tabernacle. Uh, now, what's the significance of this? I think that the colors signify something of uh, a proximity to God. Um, here are the priests of God who will act as God's representatives to the people. Hence, they match the place where God is dwelling. They match the place that they are called out to serve God and to serve his people in. Okay, share screen. Hey, just for the visual learners, you might want to even take a screenshot of this image uh, that's some pretty flossing threads. Uh, pretty impressive. Uh, if you want to even take an image of it and screenshot it, you might even put it off to the side because as we read some of the things, uh, this image here, this comes straight out of the ESV study Bible. Uh, it's a pretty impressive garment. Uh, so take a screenshot of it uh, just to give you a visual uh, cue on what it's looking like as we read through some of the parts of it. Uh, and so as we read through chapter 28, um, what, I, I just want you to notice a couple of things uh, in the design of the priest garments uh, and how they actually point to something of their role before God on behalf of the people. Uh, just check out the stones on the ephod. Uh, chapter 28, verse 12, it says, And you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his shoulders for remembrance. And then look at what's written on the breastpiece all the way down in chapter 28, verse 29. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place uh, to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. Uh, Aaron, in his role as high priest, he would literally wear the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. He'd bring their names before the Lord, almost as a reminder, Lord, remember your people. 
holding before the Lord these cherished and beloved people that he has called to himself. You know, the priests themselves are to be a precious and beloved people. They are called to be holy. And much of what we read in 28 and 29 uh, actually points to the call of holiness and set-apartness that is called upon the lives of the priests. But even look at what's written on their turban. Look at verse 36. Chapter 28, verse 36 says, You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it, like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. You can even, if you look back at that photo, uh, the image, you can see that written in Hebrew uh, on the image. Uh, Verse 37, And you shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. It shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the gift, the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead, that they may be accepted before the Lord. You know, the the priests were to be holy before the Lord. The priests were to go in and represent the people that the people could be accepted by and before the Lord. But I want you to notice one little detail uh, that's intriguing. Have a look at the, the what's on the hem at the bottom of the garments. Uh, chapter 28, verse 33 says, On its hem you shall make uh, pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns around its hem with bells of gold between them. A golden bell and a pomegranate. A golden bell and a pomegranate around the hem of the robe. These are like the first jingle bells. Uh, like the, the, what, what happens when you move, these bells will ring. These bells will chime. These bells will sound. Why is that significant that these bells are placed on the bottom of the hem of these priestly garments? Look at verse 35. And it shall be on Aaron when he ministers. And its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he does not die. (laughs) It's a fearsome thing to step into the presence of the living God. This is almost a, hey, the bells have stopped ringing. What's gone on? Uh, Has the the priest been struck down? Uh, Is the priest still alive? You see, the reality is that the priest, like all of Israel, are not holy They're not righteous, left to themselves. Uh, They fall short of God's glory. They fall short of God's beauty. They fall short of the standards that God calls out for his people. Uh, And so in chapter 9, I think we we get reminded of the significance of their unholiness uh, that even in chapter 29, and, and turn over the page if you need to, and we'll look at a few verses within 29, we've got the consecration of the priests. Uh, And in this section, there's a bunch of animals that are sacrificed. uh, And I think some of these things are a, um, a small taste of what's to come in the early chapters of Leviticus, where we see the ongoing animals that are to be sacrificed so that the people of God can have their sin atoned for. Uh, A bunch of animals that we see sacrificed here uh, in verse 10. A bull is sacrificed uh, as verse 14 as a sin offering uh, that's used to purify the altar. It makes atonement for it. Uh, Then we've got two rams. Uh, Verse 15, the first one is as a burnt offering. Uh, And then the second one uh, in verse 19 is a ram of ordination. 
I got I got ordained uh, as a minister in the church, and no one gave me a ram uh, on my ordination. There were also no rams put to death uh, on my ordination. Uh, but have a look at what what takes place here, uh, and what we're reminded of uh, that needs to continue to happen for God's peop- for God's priests, and therefore God's people to be holy before the Lord. Look at um, chapter twenty nine. Verse 19, it says, You shall take the other ram, and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on the head of the ram. A really significant symbol, again, that we see more uh, in the book of Leviticus, of a transferring from uh, an unrighteous human to a uh, an animal without blemish. Uh, he lays his hands on the head of the ram. Verse 20, And you shall kill the ram, And take part of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tip of the right ear of his sons and on the thumbs of their right hands and on the great toes, the big toe of their right feet and throw the rest of the blood against the sides of the altar. Then you shall take part of the blood that's on the altar and of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and on his son's garments with him. He and his garments shall be holy and his sons and his son's garments with him. We've got the, we've got the blood on Aaron. We've got the blood on his sons. Like it's on his, their ear, on their thumb, on their toe, kind of uh, covering uh, this person, covering this priest before they prepare to go in and to serve the Lord and to act on behalf of the people. Blood is placed on them and blood is placed on their garments again. If you haven't heard it in the book of Exodus, uh, there is a lot of blood (laughs) and a lot of blood is required for people to be right with God, for an unholy people to be holy before God. And towards the end of chapter uh, 29, um, we'll actually see that the daily grind of a priest in the Old Testament was a bloody job. Now, not a bloody job as in it was, you know, like a ah, my bloody job, but it it's it's covered in blood. It's a daily task of offering sacrifices on behalf of the people. Uh, it's a dirty job uh, in the, the constant sacrifices made. Quickly pick it up in verse 20, not verse 29, chapter 29, verse 35. It says, Thus you shall do to Aaron and to his sons, according to all that I have commanded you. Uh, Through seven days shall you ordain them, and every day you shall offer a bull as a sin offering for atonement. Also, you shall purify the altar when you make atonement for it and shall anoint it to consecrate it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar shall become holy. There's this ongoing job for the priests in the Old Testament that they would continue to offer sacrifices that they would continue to offer sacrifices that the people of God uh, could have atonement made. Uh, now, atonement is a really significant word in the Bible. Uh, it's a significant word in the Old Testament. It's a significant word for us, uh, this side of the New Testament. Uh, but atonement is literally at one meant. 
Uh, and so what does that mean? What does it mean to be at one? Uh, well, atonement is when someone who is not at one with God, that is an enemy of God, uh, someone who is in rebellion against God, someone who is sinning against God, someone who is unholy, is therefore out of relationship with God. We see that in Genesis chapter 3 and beyond, that from Adam and Eve and following, all people are born into a relationship of enmity with God. We are not at one with God. And yet the good news in the Old Testament is that through the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham, God would call out a people to be his own and he would make them who once weren't a people to be his people. They who were once aliens and strangers and distant from God, dead in their sin, could be made at one with God. God. Atonement could be won through the ongoing sacrifice of uh, bulls, of rams, of all sorts of animals that we read about later on uh, in Exodus and indeed into Leviticus. The ongoing job of the priests of God in the Old Testament was that not only were they to be holy, Not only were they to represent the people, but they made it possible through atonement, through blood that is shed. They made it possible for chapter 29, verse 43. There I will meet with you, says the Lord, the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel. And will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God. Who brought them out of the land of Egypt. That I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Uh, There is uh, a summary of Exodus 28 and 29. And the role of the priests in the Old Testament. To represent the people of God to God. And represent God to the people. The only way it is possible for an unholy people to have God dwell in their midst is the ongoing sacrifice that is made for sin, that atonement can be won by blood. There's the first stopping point this morning uh, as we see the Old Testament priests and what they are called to do, the way they are dressed for the job, the way they are consecrated for the job, and the way they will ongoingly, out of God's kindness, offer sacrifices for sin, uh, and that they too would be made uh, aton- that atonement would be made for the people. Now, as we move into the New Testament, uh, the great news of the priesthood in the New Testament is that Jesus is our great High Priest. Jesus is a greater high priest. Uh, We've turned regularly to the book of Hebrews uh, throughout this series. And again, we'll turn to Hebrews a bunch of times uh, in the next moment. But what we see in Jesus is so good. Uh, And again, one of the things that we've talked about throughout this series is the ongoing arrow from the Old Testament, from the book of Exodus, pointing forward to the coming of Christ. Uh, In Christ, we meet our high priest. He is greater. He is the one that we were waiting for. He is the one that all those drops of blood that were shed, that were spilled, that were put on thumbs, that were put on ears, that were put on big toes, all of those were pointing us forward to 
Christ Jesus. He is a better priest. Uh, I've got four things I want to really quickly move through in the New Testament uh, to consider as we think about Jesus as our high priest. Uh, These four headings more or less uh, have been worked from Tony Merida. I've mentioned his commentary a number of times. Uh, I strongly urge you even to read his whole commentary. Uh, Very accessible, very helpful, very soaked in scripture. Uh, But four things briefly about the, the priesthood of Jesus. The first thing is that Jesus is superior in holiness. Jesus is superior in holiness. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Jesus is superior in holiness. This is good news. The Old Testament priests were called to be holy, but we know that they fell short. And yet look at what it says about Jesus. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. It says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests uh, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. How good is that? Jesus' sacrifice is once and for all because of Jesus' superior holiness. Those Old Testament priests first had to offer sacrifices for their own sin. But Jesus, he is without sin. How beautiful is that? He is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He is our high priest and he doesn't need to offer a sacrifice for his own sin because he is without sin Uh, that is good news jesus is our high priest because jesus is superior in holiness second jesus has a superior uh, anointing Uh, it says in luke chapter 3 luke chapter 3 which is a little bit like i guess a consecration ordination for jesus in in luke chapter 3 in his baptism uh, we we read this um, um, luke chapter 3 verse 21 now when all the people were baptized and when jesus also had been baptized and was praying the heavens were opened and the holy spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Uh, We didn't touch on the anointing much in chapters 28 and 29 of Exodus, but what we see in Jesus is a superior anointing. We see the one that the father, his affections are upon him. The spirit is dwelling in him. Why? This is the second member of the Holy Trinity. This is God come amongst us as we considered last week in detail. Uh, In Jesus, we meet the one who is commended by his father, anointed by the Holy Spirit, God, Father, Son and Spirit at work uh, in and through the priesthood of Jesus. Number one, Jesus is superior in holiness. Number two, Jesus has a superior anointing. Number three, back in Hebrews, Jesus is superior in representation. 
Uh, this is good news of great joy. Jesus is superior in representation. Have a look at um, uh, Hebrews 9. Remember, the priests would go and represent the people um, before God. And yet look at what it says of Jesus. Uh, Hebrews 9 verse 24. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer uh, himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. How much better is Jesus? How much superior is his representation on our behalf? He enters into the very presence of God, not repeatedly, but once through his perfect sacrifice on the cross. Jesus not only is holy, but Jesus as the Holy One suffers once and for all. And through his blood, through his sacrifice, atonement can be made. Salvation has been won through him who lived for us, who died for us, and who was raised again. So four things. Uh, number one, Jesus is our great high priest. He is superior in holiness. He is superior in his anointing. He is superior in his representation. And the fourth and final thing is Jesus is superior in his intercession. Uh, I love this. From chapter 7, verse 23, it says, this is Hebrews chapter 27, verse, uh, Hebrews 7, verse 23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. He's the one who conquered the grave. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. As we meet Jesus, we meet the forever king. We meet the forever high priest. We meet the one that death could not hold him down. He is alive. And we read in the Gospels that after Jesus appeared to his disciples, as he appeared to over 500 people, he ascended back to his father's right hand, where he is advocating for his people, where he is interceding for us. He whose sacrifice is once and for all, it is finished, Jesus cried from the cross. Jesus, the risen Jesus, our great high priest, superior in intercession as he prays on our behalf. I love that, I love that idea there, verse 25. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near uh, to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. What is Jesus' ongoing work as our high priest? He is seated at the right hand of God. He lives now to intercede for us, to represent us before God, to intercede for us. He comes alongside us. He is for us. He is with us. His work is finished on earth. His work is finished at the cross and in his empty tomb. And yet his ongoing work as our high priest is that he 
applies that finished work to his people as we draw near to him, trusting in our great high priest. Good news, amen, that Jesus is our great high priest. He is superior in holiness. He is superior in his anointing. He is superior in his representation and in his intercession. To conclude, I want to encourage you to respond rightly to Jesus this day. And as we've taken a snapshot of Exodus 28 and 29, as we've considered priesthood in the Old Testament, and as we've considered Jesus as our great high priest, we conclude with a consideration for what does priesthood look like for us today? The good news is that for all who are in Christ Jesus, the church, the people of God, we are a kingdom of priests. We are a kingdom of priests. 1 Peter chapter 2 uh, verse 9 Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. I'll only be here for a moment. Uh, It says, uh, applying those words that have already been written about Israel to the church uh, in Peter's time. uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Uh, Believers, Those who follow Jesus, we are a royal priesthood. Uh, The church of Jesus Christ uh, is not hierarchical in uh, that only the priests can represent, only the ordained ministers can represent the people before God. We have direct access, each and every single one of us, to God by believing in Christ and having the Spirit of God dwell within us. Brothers, sisters, we all who are in Christ, are a royal priesthood. We have the privilege to serve him with our lives. You see there in 1 Peter 2, 9, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have the privilege of proclaiming Christ, of pointing others to how they too can know God through trusting in Christ as we speak boldly and courageously, as we represent the people around us. Remember, Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. We, as the church, are a light and are a priesthood, serving God and serving each other and indeed serving the world as we point others to the glorious news of what Christ, our high priest, has achieved on our behalf. And hey, here's the good news for us as a kingdom of priests, as a royal priesthood, as all believers are called to serve. It says in Romans chapter 12, you know, well, what what do we make of sacrifice? Well, there's no longer a sacrifice that needs to be made for sin. No longer do we need to have um, blood everywhere. That's good news because the blood of Jesus has been shed once and for all. And yet there is still a sacrifice to be made. It's not the slaughter of animals because the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, was slain once and all, once and for all for us. But in Romans chapter 12, in verse 1, uh, in response to all that has gone on in Romans, in chapters 1 through 11, the response is this, Romans 12 verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform, be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We are to be a living sacrifice, which means each day we give up our life. We give up our life as we live in response to all that God has done for us. We shine brightly. We live differently. We are not conformed to this world. We live no longer for ourselves, uh, but we sacrifice all for the sake of the one who has sacrificed all for us. And, you know, one of the things, if we had read all of chapters 28 and 29 of uh, Exodus, we would have seen a number of times that the offerings were an aroma pleasing to God. Do you know in the New Testament, in a number of places, let me take you to one and we'll conclude here, we actually learn we are the aroma. Uh, have a look in 1, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15 says, um, or verse 14, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those whom are being saved and among those who are perishing, the one a fragrance from death to life to the other a fragrance from life to life who is sufficient for these things. We, as we give ourselves as a living sacrifice, we are the aroma of Christ. Christ is in us. Christ is living through us. And we are a pleasing aroma to our God as we shine brightly for him. We are an aroma for life for those who will respond to the gospel of Jesus. We're even a, a, an aroma for death for those who will reject the message of Jesus. Either way, we are to please God as we live as a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood, people who know God through Christ Jesus, the spirit dwelling in us. I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask that God would... Uh, impress upon us uh, the things that we've heard and help us as a church, uh, as the church, uh, to be a kingdom of priests. Why don't you pray with me? Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Old Testament. Uh, we have loved um, being in this book for the last few months in the book of Exodus. Uh, and Father, thank you for the, the, the new things we can learn. Thank you for some of the details that we can drill into. Uh, and Father, thank you for the priests in the Old Testament. Uh, and thank you that they were a gift from you uh, as a means to be atoned of sin, uh, the ongoing representation of um, you before your people and your people before you. Uh, and Father, we thank you uh, once again for the way in which uh, there's a massive arrow pointing forward to the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is a better high priest. We thank you that he is our high priest. We thank you that right now his work is to intercede for us, applying the finished work of his death and his resurrection to us. Uh, Father, thank you for him. Uh, and Father, we are so thankful that as those who are found in him, trusting in him, we can now be a royal priesthood. We can now be a kingdom of priests. Uh, Father, would you help each and every single one of us to not only trust Jesus, but to live for him? to serve him, to represent him to this world, to be an aroma, uh, a pleasing sacrifice uh, as we give our lives uh, for him who gave his life for us. Father, would you uh, empower us? Uh, would you encourage us? Would you use us for your glory? Uh, would you use us that many would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? 
Uh, Father, sustain us during this time of lockdown. Help us to keep trusting in you and help us to not stop being a living sacrifice, uh, to not stop living for our King who died for us and was raised again. And it's in Jesus' name that we all pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.